We are back with a new episode of We Going In Presents. Today we're chopping it up with Shaw Stimuli to talk about his journey, his latest album Lazarus, how he outshined his music in the eyes of Jay-Z, where he's been, and much more. Also, the latest edition of the Words Book series, Words 3, is out now, featuring the best of the best from the We Going In interviews, including Lord Finesse, OC, Razcast, Tone Deaf, and more. And there's also Understanding the True Meaning, an in-depth look at Cormega's classic album, The True Meaning, written with Cormega. All of that is available on Amazon or in the links of this interview on wegoingin.com. You know, you always think about it because an award show will come on or, you know, you'll, you'll see people that are super fans of guys that, you know, like a J. Cole where you're like, man, that could have been me, you know, and he's doing it on a level where, um, you know, he's not rocking crazy jewelry or wearing, you know, crazy name brands like he's being himself. And I'm like, man, that would have been the way I would have done it. But I didn't have the foresight at that time to be myself anyway. So um, it, it wouldn't have worked out because I was, I was rocking jewelry. I was, you know, listening to everybody. I was trying to make music that could get on the radio. You know, the times weren't conducive to being you. And then it switched. And then, yeah, and and once it switched, all of a sudden, everybody started being that way, even if that wasn't their like natural personality. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was different, man. I, I can, I can just remember all the little, the little switches that happened because I don't know if you know or not, but when I started getting love on on hip hop game, and um whatever, all hip-hop, or whatever was popping at the time, <laughs> when we went to Virgin Records, we printed out all the interviews and all the stuff we were doing online, and they looked at it like, well, what do we do? What is this? <laughs> like, they literally did, was like, I don't know, we don't know what to do with this. Like, it's not spins on the radio. Like, how do, how do we equate this to, like, anything? And we were telling them, like, yo, this is the next wave. Like, online is it. And they were like, um, yeah, so you got a hit single. <laughs> and then not even two years later, the world changed. And yeah. every rapper that popped was, you know, low-key stealing my blueprint and telling me years later, like, yo, we was watching you. We saw you on this, on that, on that, and we just did the same thing. And I was like, wow. Which is so crazy, because <laughs> I, I can remember you were the first artist, really, who I felt really cared about the audio page. And I felt like once once you did it, um, Saigon, Graf, Joe Budden, they were like that, yeah. next, that next wave. And it's like once there was mm -hmm. like five or six artists that really cared about that hip hop game audio page, all of a sudden that page meant a lot to people. And all of a sudden yeah. the hits started going up for us. I remember the streams became like a mini competition among the artists and the, you know, reading through the mm -hmm. comments and you know, you'd start to recognize the same comment names, you know, on all the songs, like it became an actual, like the audio page became a real community. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. And I was I was terrified of it 
because it was the first time you could quantify um, pretty much how good or how hot an indie artist was. And, you know, before that, it was record sales. It was never a, a, a measure for the up-and-coming rapper to be, you know, more popping than somebody else. Now you can look online and say, wait, so I got 7,000 listens, but Joel Ortiz got 12. Yes. And the song just, you know, the song dropped on the same same day. You know, and it's like, man, I, I was, it made me nervous because I was like, this, this isn't about what's better, but at the same time, you can't dispute numbers. Like, more people are listening, more people are curious, more people are saying it's hot. And and I, I was like, man, I don't I don't know how to survive in this climate because <laughs> it's not like how I came up, you know. It it, it wasn't the physical mixtapes and you know getting nope. getting the mixtapes out throughout New York City into the bootleggers, which really was like that was that wave was like just dying out. Like the CD hadn't died yet, but it was it was on its way out. iTunes was you know in its early stages but yeah like it it was crazy like and and thinking about hip-hop game it's like i don't think there could ever be another type of audio page that means that much because now everybody wants to keep their own clicks through soundcloud so everybody controls their mm-hmm. own it's like everybody has their own hip-hop game audio page at this point that they curate and they control but like it'll never be the same where it's just like you go to one spot to hear everything like there's just so many websites now and artists controlling their own message so much more. Yeah. It'll never be the same. Um, now I often ask kids like where do they get new music from, you know, and then most times they say SoundCloud or Spinrilla or a lot of it is word of mouth. It's just so different. And what I learned putting this album out, well, I already knew it, but content doesn't last. Like, no matter how good you think your product is, I can love an album, but I will forget about it within days. And I have to force myself to be like, let me go back and listen to that album that I like instead of just going on Apple Music and looking up new releases, you know, and listening to something else or a throwback album. Like, this is crazy what we have at our fingertips, you know. Um, and it just made, it made me kind of fall back again. Like, I don't need to you know, rack my brain trying to figure out how I'm going to promote this album <laughs> at all. I just need to reach who's going to get reached. Yeah. No, I think we're at a time now where the consumer is the most like widely listened, like they've heard everything, but not mm-hmm. at a deep level. It's like, like, could you really yeah. break down the album and what, what was the artist really getting at? Or were you just, exposed to the songs on a surface level like you listen to it while you were at the gym or while you were driving to work but like Mm -hmm. you know you're not going to listen to it again and I mean I feel like I was still going through like for example Planet Asia and Apollo Brown's album and Planet Asia dropped another album like in the meantime so I haven't even gotten to that one yet and it's just like I can't I can't even keep up and it's like you know just it's mind-boggling because I, I I listen to music all the time and I can't keep up. Yeah, it's definitely um what you said. You hit it on the head. Like, there's no reason to dig beneath the surface. And I put out something that 
that needs digging. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's so many layers and, and so many things that you might not get the first time. And musically, it's not, um, it doesn't match what's on the radio. So you may not hear a trap sound or you may not hear a popular sounding beat. And you're like, I don't, I don't know if I want to continue, but I put so much into the feeling of it um, and try to incorporate this gospel, this vibe so that it would just feel different from anything that was out. Um, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. I wanted to ask you about that. I, and if you're cool, man, I think we just kind of jumped into the interview. If, if you're cool with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever you, I, it, I figured you was already recording. So. It, it felt like it. We never had that official like the interview is now starting, but like I think it just oh. naturally happened. So, um, I wanted to talk to you about that because you have a gospel feel that just maintains itself throughout the album, from the production mm -hmm. in the beats, just those those really big, heavy sounding beats to the interludes and the singing, you know. Why? What? Yeah. Why did you feel um, the need to go with with the gospel um, influence throughout Lazarus? I believe that when I um, I've always been searching for my sound. You know, I've always just tried to find what sound fit to me, um, and I always like popular samples. I think. I think to me, that was one of the things that I've always liked. And I also like soul samples. So when the music changed and um, the soul samples died and trap music came in and, um, you know, production took a turn, yeah, I was kind of left like not knowing what I like to listen to. And then when Jay-Z dropped 444, I kind of was already throwing out whatever was, I didn't care about what was hot. I just was like, whenever I hear something, that I like, I'm going to rock with. So the producer, Red Letters, um, he's actually a Christian rapper and producer. So some of his stuff just had this gospel influence. And anytime I heard it, I would like it just to listen to it. And um, I like the feel of gospel music. So I, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a religious person, but, you know, I have spiritual beliefs. So my thing was the feel of it. Like anytime you hear gospel music, it just puts, it gives you a vibe, an overall uplifting feeling. And that's what I wanted to, to bring to the music. Um, I just wanted, wanted it to feel good. I, I didn't want you to have to, you know, say, what is he trying to do? What is he trying to say? I didn't think it mattered what I was saying on it. I just wanted it to feel uplifting, you know, and that, that was the, 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 the vibe of the album. Just, um, me coming back from, um, I want to just say, feeling like I didn't want to be here anymore, you know, and on the on earth. So the, the whole album was about resurrecting myself. So that was a part of the field. And I I could definitely see that. And I mean, I think you you did that while also showing some incredibly dark moments at the same time. Like, mm -hmm. for every high on that album, I feel like there's some really deep lows. You know, whether you look at a song like Jail University or you look at dealing yeah. with abuse and conflict and relationships falling apart and lack of trust. I mean, I feel like 
I feel like you got to the highs through mm-hmm. a lot of lows. Yeah, totally, totally. I wanted to explore those. Um, and I, I think um, I was nervous because Jail University was a song I did a couple of years ago. And it started out as like spoken word. And because you can see the arrangement is all over the place. Like I wasn't thinking about how I'm going to make this a song. It was just a, an idea I had. And when I, when I went to shoot the video, I sent it to a, um, a director and I, I didn't know he was like a fan of mine. So he was like, man, I feel like this shouldn't be your first song coming back because it sounds bitter. And I, I was concerned. I was like, no, I was like, this is metaphoric. I was like, I'm not bitter. Like, I don't, I don't really want to go to jail. Like, I hope you understand. Like, he didn't get it. But then I was worried that people wouldn't get it. You know, I was like, oh, man, that's... I don't want people to think I really am upset I didn't make it, so to speak, you know, (laughs) in rap. Like, I'm good. But at the same time, I wanted to highlight how much we glorify negativity, you know, and... It made me think, I was like, man, I should just sell this song to Kendrick or somebody that can get this message across. Because coming from me, certain messages get lost. You know, if, if that domestic violence song, Bad Day, was Eminem's, you know, it would be all talked about. But because I did it, it's like, eh, you know. But yes, there are some dark moments. I mean, that that's what's so crazy, too, you know. Did you, because like, I I don't know, I've always been a fan of you, obviously. And we go back, for those who don't know, we go back to 2004 and some of your earliest music and before you ever had any kind of deal, before Jay-Z, before anything. And so I've, (laughs) I've always believed in your talent and you as an artist and that you had an important message to say. And it just blows my mind, you know, like, it sounds like, you know, you you've thought a lot about it, but like, why haven't you blown up to the, to the point where people are talking about that and where people can obviously hear the talent and recognize you as a voice that should be listened to? Like, why hasn't mm-hmm. that happened? Because I don't have any answers myself. <laughs> well, I had to look in the mirror and, and say there was a disconnect. I think early when I was, um, when you first heard me and I was stimulated, I was hungry. Um, I had all of these, these rhymes and these verses and, and I was instantly standing out because I was gaining traction in New York and I was performing and it was like a growth with every mixtape from let me show you the way to follow my lead. It was like, I was building and then I got the deal and it was like, they gave me the mic and was like, okay, what do you want to say? And I was like, um, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to be hot, you know. And I, I believe that my calling was to say something, but I didn't know what I wanted to say. So, within that confusion, um, the whole virgin death jam thing happened, and I was caught in the middle because I made some choices that. Um, you know, they, they, I trust the people that pretty much left me, left me to, to sit. And throughout that, I didn't know how to use the internet to navigate interest or, you know, 
anything. Like it was about two years of of not putting anything out. And then I tried to do it in 2008 where I dropped 12 mixtapes and tried to flood the world with content. And if I listen back to a lot of that material, I was talking about the industry. I was talking about being an underdog. I was talking about um, everything having to do with rap. And I wasn't necessarily bitter, but I was, I was affected. I was affected by my place in the game. I was affected by, you know, the DJs that that were shitting on me or, um, you know, whatever websites weren't giving me love or, or whoever. It just, you know, and keep in mind, I was going to the clubs every night trying to get my stuff played and trying to be seen and trying to be this, this hip-hop star, um, confused because there was this whole indie world where my, my peers were excelling. And I came out to Atlanta to A3C and I'm hanging out with Torre and he has a merchandise table and he's introducing me to all these people. Some of them know me already, but they have fan bases and they're selling merch and they're on stage and Pusha T knows who I am because I'm in this commercial world, but I'm looking at this underground world like, this is who I need to be marketing to. Then when I tried, they didn't really accept me. So to answer your question, I never knew who I was. And some people get over without knowing who they are because of some great marketing, timing, uh, money, promotion. And my path was just different. You know, and I believe that I had to go through some things in order to find my voice. So now I'm still finding it. Um, I believe this album is probably the closest thing of who I am. Um, but as far as becoming a, a, a household name, there's, there's still a disconnect. You know, I still think I'll put out a video and, and people will may like it, but they won't share it. Um, and I haven't figured out why, <laughs> you know, it's just, um, it's interesting, you know, it's interesting, but I do believe there's some type of disconnect that I, I, I haven't figured out yet. And I may never figure it out. And, it, and it's crazy because I mean, Lazarus is definitely, you sound incredibly inspired. It doesn't sound like, you just said, okay, let me just throw some songs that I've done over the years together and call it an album and mm -hmm. put it out and say I'm back. Like, it's yeah. it sounds like, you know, an effort that's, you know, very cohesive and it 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 sounds like an album that was made. I mean, you could have, you could have went the easy route and threw on, you know, the just Blaze songs and you know really just yeah. made it like, you know, featuring just Blaze, featuring so and so, but like, you really yeah. made it purposeful. So, yep. I mean, I think, I think what's, what's shouldn't be forgotten through all of this is that you're still here and that you're still inspired and you're not just kind of recreating that 2004, 2005, that mixtape a month vibe, like that you really are, mm -hmm. um, just that, that you, you went away, you came back and you're not, you're not, you're not done. Right. No, totally. I mean, that. 
that is the truth. Like that is the whole reason for me coming back is feeling inspired and knowing that I have more to say. Um, the, the toughest thing that I was afraid of was knowing that content doesn't last. I was afraid of it coming out and being, you know, kind of unnoticed after a while. Um, and I had to get over that because I'm like, I can't take that personal. Um, I can't take streaming against buying personal. I, I know for a fact that I didn't, I didn't promote it for months in advance. I've been away for five years. Like all of that matters. Um, but you know, and I think what you said about people not really listening all the way through and, and more than once, I'm going to be a victim of that. You know, that's, that's going to happen because I've, I've sent this to some people that I, I really valued their response or their, you know, their ear. And I didn't get the response I was hoping for. And then I sent it to other people and they had to listen more than once and call me back and apologize. Even my wife was like, she posted on Facebook and was like, I heard it the first time, but after driving with it and listening, like, this is amazing. Mm. But I knew, I knew for a fact that I was going to hit that hurdle and and she always reminds me, like, it's going to hit people later on. And I was like, I, I, I agree with that. So, so do you feel that people are moving on from it? I feel I started the Bar Talk series. I don't know if you've seen those, but I've been doing acapellas. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm a little behind. I had I shot like four of them today because I'm, I'm behind on them. But um that was my way of initially it was my idea to promote the album. I was going to call it words from Lazarus where I kind of just took those words and brought them to life and try to bring people to the music. But now I'm thinking beyond the music because I have aspirations to not necessarily be a motivational speaker, but to cut out the middleman, you know, the music to me is a tool the words that I say on, on walk on water or, or the, you know, the wake where I'm telling people to live every day. And those are, that's the crux of, of what I want to get to. So if somebody can watch that and I don't care if it's five views on it, you know what I'm saying? that If that's one person where their day changed or they felt a little better or they understood what I was saying or they got it, I have to value that. And I, and to me, that's, that's the important part of what I do. So I don't know if people have moved on. I do feel like people will go back to it. I feel like, you know, um, I have some ideas for videos and of course that takes, takes revenue that is going so many different places right now. Cause you know, life is life is life. <laughs> so, um, but I do, I, I still do, I still would like to shoot a couple more videos, which will bring people back to it, um, as well as continue with the bar talks, which brings people back to it. But I, I, I strongly believe that those messages on there are timeless. We'll always be dealing with 
domestic violence with absentee fathers, you know, the subject of slavery is one that we may not have, we may not always talk about how impactful it was, but that's something that's, that's a real thing that we're dealing with. We're dealing with the byproduct of that every day, you know, and I, that's why I didn't target uh, a race or nationality. I, I targeted the institution of slavery and wrote a letter, you know, letting them know, letting them know we're not over you. you know, none of us. And I, I don't, that, that doesn't run out, you know what I'm saying? So I do think the music, people may may move on from the album and say, okay, I, I heard it or I didn't hear it or didn't know it dropped, but but if I put out a video for that song tomorrow, like, it, it's relevant. You know? And it's also one of those things that as you keep putting out music, I feel like people go back to it, too. I, I feel like it's one of those albums that people can go back to, that it's not, it's not done. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of, I agree with that. So what got you to put it put it back at like to put music out again and to really um kind of re-enter the game when you had been quiet for so long? Um well when did I start? I did the, I did the rent tape series in 2012 um and you know that was that was fun. I was I was rushing through it but it was it was therapy because I was going through you know, the breakup and I moved out and got my apartment and, um, you know, life was, um, I, I was dealing with for the first time meeting people as either Sherrod or Mr. Williams. And as small as that seems, it, it was big because for a decade I was shy or stimuli. So it, it, it threw me off. It had it made me feel inadequate. It made me, you know, feel like if I'm not here anymore, maybe they'll listen to the music. And you start to get these thoughts of, well, dying might be better, you know. And then sometimes those thoughts amplify, and then you shut them down and say that's ridiculous. But they're real thoughts, you know. And I had moved to to a, a foreign city and broke up with my girl and now I'm by myself and and I didn't have anybody to turn to and it was just really dark. So the music would literally save me. Like I would listen to Rent Tape 7 or Rent Tape 8 and like, wow, this is what I was thinking. And I got it out. Um, so I had to stop. I had to chill and and sit. And for the first time, of 2013 I wasn't writing and it felt it felt free I had no deadline I had no you know nothing to to go to the studio for um I did a couple of features for like the Barrel Brothers and Nino Bless but everything I wrote I took my time I think I wrote Jail University in like that year and then the BET called to do the 106 and Park thing and I took my time and wrote that verse. And I was taking, I never took time and wrote and waited for the inspiration. Like it was so freeing. Um, so when 2015 rolled around, you know, I got married in, in 2014. Um, I started to just write more. And 
I met Red Letters through Focus. Um, and his story was very interesting because the the day I met him, um, you know, Focus told me how his wife passed and uh, his twin daughters were, I think, two years old. Wow. And I was, um, you know, I was just, I was blown away. And then he would play some of his music. And normally when you meet rappers, like we met at Focus's crib, Focus was like, yo, come through this and beat this other rapper's going to be there. I'm like, damn, I don't want to meet no rappers. You know what I'm saying? But he was so cool and so humble. And he was a fan as well. Um, and then when we left, I was like, yo, man, let me get your number. Like, me, you know, I know you got some beats. You know, not thinking nothing of it. But it's very rare, you know, you connect with somebody. I invited him to my wedding. I had just met him. And I got married probably the next month. And he's at my wedding, you know, dancing, meeting people. And it was good to just see him get out the house. Um, so listening to his beats, I felt inspired again. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know how I wanted to put it out. I didn't know if I wanted to change my name. You know, it just took so much time of me going to Salem Song Studio out here with my man AJ and him just letting me record. I was like, yo, I'm coming for a couple of hours and I just record and not know what's going to go where. I, you know, I did New Jordans one day and did another song and my wife was there, you know, eight months pregnant. And that was, that was turned out to be the album cover. You know what I'm saying? Like AJ just happened to take a picture of her while I'm in the booth. Um, so it, it was gradual, just gradually just recording until... Um, I felt like some of these songs needed to be heard and, um, it just started coming together. I was like, I, I, I feel like I have something to say again. And is that when you recorded too some of like the just blaze beats or were those in the archive? Um, well, that was new Jordan. That was, it was in the archives. Um, but the, you know, the idea, the idea just came to me one day. Um, I don't even think I wrote that to a beat. I think I just wrote it again, like a, like a poem. Um, and the second part was an actual poem that I wrote to Needles beat. Yeah, that was, that was around that time that I, I, I did that. And, Trump, and I was Troubles. proud of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Troubles. Yeah. I had like three more. Um, that I did. Um, there's another one called Slipping. That was actually going to be my first single when I was on Virgin. And I probably recorded it maybe four times with four different lyrics. Troubles, that was like the fifth version. Um, and I, because again, this is stuff I've never done. Like, I don't know if you know my recording process, but I used to go in there, one take, and be done. Like, and I do whole songs one take. I still do that. But what I started doing was going back and listening and then going back to the studio and like, I'm about to change it up. And I was trying to make things better and better and better. And this is something I had never taken my time. So with troubles, I just gave up. I was like, all right, I can't, I can't keep redoing this. Like, <laughs> like I'm just going to throw it out there. And I knew it wasn't album worthy. So I was like, let me at least put it out there. But um, New Jordans, I felt strong strong about. It just didn't fit. If I just played to call me, I know I did something right, you know. 
and since then we've been like we've been communicating. Um, so I thought that was that was dope. That's awesome, and and because you, you guys had a relationship from way before as well, didn't you? We did, we did, and recently I think I I asked him um, what what didn't get him excited about me because I think he liked what I was doing. But I, I I wanted some real criticism because he you know Saigon was his artist mm-hmm. and I felt like just was just was my dream producer um and I felt like if I had that position not instead of Saigon but along with like if I was next you know what I'm saying like that would have been heaven for me but I never got that you know and. During that time, um, I was I was somewhat trying. You know, we paid for Baseline Studio. We were there all the time. He was, you know, crafting beats for me from scratch. But it wasn't, you know how you, when somebody's just in your corner and they're excited when you walk in the room? Like, I didn't get that. So I asked him, I was like, man, what was it? Like, he was like, man, I just... He was like, I just, was, I was, I was on Saigon. Like that was my guy. I had to get, I had to get him. Like he said, it was so much that came with him, but I couldn't see anything else. Mm. And I was like, okay, I still think I could have been better, maybe, <laughs> you know, um, to really get his attention. But I, I understand that not only was he that he, you know, he he Saigon producer, but it was a business. Like he signed him. Like this was his first flagship artist so I can imagine there was so much that went with that you know and that was my boy so I understood um, yeah yeah it's 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 crazy looking back on that you know how much do you feel too that being a father because it's, it's clear you're absolutely loving being a father just through the Facebook posts and you know what you talk <laughs> about like it's it's clear to see that that you genuinely love that challenge, you know, how, how, what's that been like first off, just being a dad. And then how has that affected your music? Like, like what, like wanting to put something out and, and, and carry on that legacy of, of Shaw Stimuli. Man, it, as you know, it's changed everything. Like I kid you not. I listened to some of my old stuff. Um, on the either on the red tape series or I go further back. I talk about wondering if I'm gonna be a father. I had a song asking the future if I'll ever be a father. Like I had so many lines questioning will I ever become a dad. Um so when it actually happened it was so it was surreal. I had, matter of fact I did a song during that lapse called Kids Defeat and and I didn't have any kids. So I, the, the theme of the song was I work like I got kids to feed. But, you know, within the song, I say I don't have any. So the excitement um, of being a dad is, is crazy. Like, I, I just, it's nothing like it. And I'm so grateful every day. And then the guy is just amazing. So... <laughs> that adds to it you know and it changed it changed the way i record and the way i think about 
my legacy because if you notice, I, I tried not to have any profanity on the album. It was even um, like blocked out, even like. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I wanted it to be you know clean. Of course, in the um you know the the interlude, there was some curses or whatever. But I tried not to say anything that wouldn't you know that I didn't I didn't want on there. Um, that that comes from being a dad. Um, just I'm surprised I didn't dedicate a song to him. I just I just don't like when people <laughs> dedicate songs to their kids. Like there's very few that I like. Like Fab has a dope one. Um, I think Beans had a dope one, but um, yeah, the, the profanity, the um, just the overall feel of it. I wanted it to feel like I wasn't just a rapper. Um, that's a dad. I wanted to be a human, a dad making music. You know, I just didn't want it to sound forced, and a lot of that comes. A lot of authenticity comes with being a parent. I think I think if I didn't have him, I probably would compromise something. I probably wouldn't wouldn't focus on being so real and so transparent, you know. But um you know, because you grow up in the time, think about it in two thousand two thousand four, two thousand five, it was nothing wrong with wearing jewelry. Um and trying to look like you got it. Like that was the thing, to have it. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have it, you looked like you had it, you know. You're about to shoot for uh what's it called? Come up BBB, your holeless holeless burner, put it in your waist and show it when you rap. Okay. Definitely. Yo, we're about to go to such and such party, hold this chain, put matter of fact, put these two chains on. I bet. We're going to the strip club, yo. Yeah, take these ones, this stack, even if it's not yours. And that was, that was okay. Like, that was the life, you know? But I'm, I don't need any of that. And I didn't need it then. But being a dad, it just kind of, it brings that authenticity to the words. It keeps it, keeps it just real and I'm thankful and do you feel like like your creative process your writing process has changed since you've really re-entered and, and gotten back off that hiatus that that the creative process has changed it all for you totally because I used to burn the midnight oil and write and write and just have lines and verses. I used to have like seven verses ready for the radio, for, you know, whatever, DVD. I had verses lined up. I had songs, just songs about nothing, just songs, song, crazy songs. A lot of it was about my place in the game. Now, within the last two years, it's been inspiration. It's been a strong concept. It's been uh, four ball rhyme patterns, which is probably probably the biggest change in my writing style that I didn't want to get overlooked, but I don't think people pay that much attention to rhyme patterns. But I think it's a big deal. 
because anybody can rhyme two bars. And if you listen to that album, I don't rhyme less than four bars other than like Chan University where I kind of just go off on tangents. But if you check out the rhyme schemes, it's like one rounds with two, three rounds with two, four, like it, it goes for at least four and sometimes eight and sometimes 16. Um, and I think that's a skill. And I think that is something that shows the listener or the rap fan or the critic that I'm not taking this lightly, you know? And that's a, to me, that's a big technical change but that takes effort. Um, but yeah, I, I'm and again with the going over stuff. Like I've never took something home, went back and said, okay, how can I say this better? You know, I listened to, to the last song footprints and it was cool, but I was like, nah, the third verse, I got to go deeper. I need to mention being a substitute teacher. I need to, bring people to that world and show them exactly where I was and bring them to the feeling of knowing that you're not alone in this world. So yeah, it, it changed a lot. And how do you do that while maintaining like the integrity of the rhyme where like, you're not just rhyming words to rhyme with words, but you're still able to, you know, have it be what you need it to be. Um, that part is, that part is, it's not really me consciously thinking. I think, I think that's more, that's more part of a gift. That's more divine. Um, because I don't, I don't force it. You know, I don't, I don't sit there and try to, if it's not coming, I leave it alone. You know what I'm saying? Like that is something that, um, I'll marvel at afterwards. You know what I'm saying? So, so when I, when I'm talking to, to slavery and I, and I see your water youngins with sagging pants, so their boxes show and mm-hmm. you turn bottle service and clubs into an obnoxious show and you invented raining on strippers or all that profit show, then put us on reality TV and made us watch the show. Like, those are all relevant, real, direct effects from, you know, society's ills. And they just happen to rhyme. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, but that's real. Like, kids are really sagging their pants. Like, we really turn the bottle popping in the club into the big, this big thing. The strippers are, you know, really showing the, the, the money. Like, in reality, TV is really big. And we're all, that's, this is all products of, of where we are in society. So, the rhyme scheme part, man, I, I, I just, I feel like if you care, you just take the time and, and the words will come to you. You know, I, I never, I never really struggle to write because I feel like the the song is already written and I'm kind of just remembering 
and recalling what already exists. And it just comes to me. So if it doesn't come to me, it's not divine. I just like it doesn't it doesn't exist. And if it comes out um less than superb, <laughs> I'm okay with that because it's art, you know? And it was expression and, and I don't I don't mind putting out something that I thought was hot on Tuesday and then next Friday I'm like, nah. That wasn't it. <laughs> I've done that with whole albums, so Oh man. Good. So, so here's a question for you then. I mean, can you ever be too good of a rapper, too good of an MC, where too much is going over people's heads, or you're so technically great, but like some, 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 I mean, some rappers or some MCs that we look at are loved because their flows are not, are a little clunky, but it's like, like their voice is so catchy, or the persona yep. that they are, like their pers- personality makes it so that it doesn't matter how good they are as a rapper. They, they'll they get you in other ways. Um, mm-hmm. You know, or the lifestyle they're selling. You know, can you ever be too good? We're like, you know, I, th- I think we've talked about this in the past too, the dumb it down. Yeah. Yeah, that. I mean, everything you said is totally correct. Like, that is where a lot of people fall in their lanes and they have a great awareness of it. Some people have this, you know, Jadakiss has a magical voice that he has lines, but he can put so much space and air in between them that the line breathes and it leaps out at you. But it's because of the voice. You know, I think Fabulous is one of the most gifted writers of our time, but yet still he takes that that biggie format where the, the delivery is, is can be simplistic at times and the flow can be um, can be repeated. And right. then you got somebody like Kendrick, um, who I think Lupe recently criticized and said Kendrick was not a lyricist. He's a great storyteller and he has great flows. Um, in some senses, he's right because Kendrick doesn't have lines that make you go, wow, you know, I think Cole is kind of in the same vein where, you know, it's a feel. It's not like these these lines that are just out of control where somebody like Saha the Prince, you know, is hitting you with punchline and Royce the Five Nine, who I think is probably the greatest rapper alive right now, who can flow, give you a line, give you a double entendre, um, have it rhyme with something else and polysyllabic rhymes within and in the rhyme scheme, like him and Crooked Eye just have, you know, those gifts. But they are packaged in a slaughterhouse package that is, these are the rappers, you know? So the marketing is different. You put any one of those guys alone, which they were alone before, and it's a tougher battle. But now you put them together as slaughterhouse, this, super MC group and now people are paying attention to the words because they're supposed to be nice whereas you know if you turn on the stimuli guy I don't like what and why am I listening to this <laughs> you know what I'm saying like a lot of it can go over over your head until it comes to a magical cosign so if Dr. Dre was to sign this kid or this grown man now it's like, all right, let me hear what he got to say. 
you know, and that's just the world we're in. Like we, we, we're consumers, we're customers. We, we need to be told what's good and what's hot. Um, I do think there are some great writers that, that do get the love, you know, but you take somebody like Graf, who I think is probably one of you know the best writers ever. When you look at how he puts words together, um, throughout his career, he's had to take so many different turns in order to just get where he is now, and that's mainly because of him being on a reality show or just a, cont- a continuous grind and being able to do shows and, and stay alive in this business. But you can definitely, you can definitely be too good. You can be, um, you can be too attractive. You know, these are all real things that you have to not necessarily not only dumb down, but you have to find a lane that makes people comfortable enough to want to root for you, to want to share your video, and. It's it's not always simple, <laughs> you know. I I could do marketing for a lot of other people because I can see what they would need. For myself, eh, not so much. Because I know what I want to say, and I'm I'm standing firm on it, you know. So I don't, I don't even know how to dumb down at this point because sometimes I feel like I'm I've dumbed down. I feel like. It could be so much more words within words and rhyme schemes and and I'm like, all right, let me let me say it like this so people can repeat it or they can get it. Um, I feel like before I would probably, you know, I would go a little a little harder in different areas. Right, but now I mean, yeah. being a father, being married, certain things that all of a sudden become off limits as topics too, right? Totally. Totally, because I was filling in the I was filling the blanks with your girl doing this. I was filling the blanks with um, a gun reference, a drug a drug reference. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of sexual references that were they they just come out in rap, especially when you're doing your you know your freestyles. Um, but yeah, all of that stuff. It's not. It's not even real or relevant to me. And, and here's the thing: like the rap I just mentioned, Graf. Um, I think he's younger than me, but we're you know we're we're grown ups. So if I hear him freestyle right now, he's gonna talk about money. He's gonna talk about drugs, guns, whatever. And that's cool. And that's fine. Um, because that's the life you know he portrays as an as a rap artist. I I'm not comfortable with making stimuli a separate character where I can spit about everything and, you know, cause I can, I can do it, you know, ill, I can say whatever, but I'm, I, I'd rather talk about the, the world I'm in and that may lose some people because you may not want to hear, um, that I'm a dad and a husband, <laughs> you know, and I'm working with kids and, you know, things like that. Like that may not be entertaining. But I'm good with that, you know, and that's okay with me. But yeah, you're right. A lot of topics, I wouldn't even say off limits. They just don't come to my, they don't come to my brain anymore. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have the lines about your girl giving me head and all of that stuff that it, <laughs> that used to come to me 
so easily. And a lot of the artists we've mentioned, especially like when you look at over the years, have experimented with so many different styles and sounds and kind of just a lot of stuff has been thrown at the wall and not everything has obviously mm -hmm. stuck, you know, right. I guess looking at your career, you don't have to go back and say like, I got a lot of shit that's on the wall right now that I regret throwing at it, you know, like that you, you don't have songs that you know, I'm sure everybody has songs that they would take back, but like, you don't mm -hmm. have any like, of those songs, which is like, what, what was he thinking? Like I was talking to master ace the other day and he was talking mm. about how he has some songs in the archive of when he was trying to be more commercial. And it's actually like a blessing yeah. to him that those songs never came out. Like he's happy that they're in the archive and he had, he said he has no desire to ever release those. And <laughs> you know, it is what it is, but like a lot of artists, man, I just feel like goes, you know, this is the trend I'm going to do this. I need to do some trap freestyles now. I need to like, you know, right. um, like, Oh, like storytelling is in like, let me do a storytelling album real quick. Like it's just, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and I, th I feel like that's a reason why a lot of the artists that were coming up at the same time during those mm -hmm. hip hop game days just never quite latched on. And we're always like on the cusp. We're always getting, you know, some DJ love, but never quite that appeal, that mainstream appeal that, you know, would have yeah. would have really put them on. Yeah, well, it, go it goes back to knowing yourself. And I and I do have those those moments. Um where I was, I you know, I was trying to find myself because, you know, I did the Love Jones CD, um, which isn't far from who I am because I, I have, you know, a lot of stories about relationships, but then also do songs like Smelly Cat, um, you know, the Unsung, which was a parody of, of whatever Rick Ross song was popular at the time. So I had awesome. humor. It, yeah, it was awesome to you, but <laughs> I've I've added humor at some times where people viewed me as serious or deep or and that's fine, you know. But imagine if I would have taken the humor and ran with it and been like, All right, this is my niche, I'm gonna be funny guy and make funny songs, you know, just so people know that I this is who I am. Um, because that's a part of me. But that, you know, that didn't totally agree with me. Um, and even though I, 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 Smelly Cat is probably my most streamed song on, like, uh, I think Spotify. <laughs> like, that doesn't, in no way does that define who I am. You know what <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's interesting that you, that you mentioned the whole, you know, throwing things out and, seeing what sticks I think in the terms of in terms of marketing that was me because when I did switch sides to me that was my last mixtape like I remember telling everybody all right this is it you know because my my complaint to my team was Jay did reasonable doubt Nas did Illmatic Big did ready to die they didn't have to drop five mixtapes before their debut album like these songs are pulling from my story and I was I was complaining about it. I was like, this is not fair that in this time we have to do this in order to um you know, in order to survive and compete. So 
when I when things didn't pan out and I had to do another mixtape and another mixtape and then I dropped twelve and then I dropped more and I'm like, wow, this was not in the plan. So I had tried marketing similar to what Crooked I did with the you know a verse every week for for y'all and trying to hit them with with bulk, you know, with just quality quantity and looking back you know eh, it gave me some fans it gave me you know people knew my work ethic but did it really you know match me eh, probably not you know the second time i did it was more authentic because i was venting and it was five six songs on ep and i sold them for five dollars and it was you know it was more cohesive but I've definitely had my moments of finding myself and, you know, I just, I didn't know the game was going to change the way it did. And who was it? Oh, eight. When that double XL cover came out with, um, that Wale first, and Mickey, that first freshman class, it was, it was really the second one. The first one was with Saigon and Papoose and, um, Joel. That one didn't really get a lot of, um, attention. Right, especially because like one. none of them were actually freshmen, which was crazy. Like if right, like they were all like years in the game. Yeah, and I could have probably you know snuck in on that one, um, but that next one was the one that changed the game forever. Um, because we hadn't seen these people, and if you were if you were home sitting in your house, and you got that cover. And you saw Blue, and you saw Wale, and you saw um, Asher Roth. Kid Cudi, Asher Ross, uh, Mickey Fax. You know, yes, all these people. You were like, I can get on it. I can do this. I could be next. Like every kid at home was like, oh, oh, y'all turn into the internet now. Like these guys are not on the radio, and they're different and. They're from different regions, and like, I bet. And people just got on their grind and went and just, you know, went within. They weren't going to the labels, knocking on the doors anymore. It was like, I'm about to get hot in my city or hot online and be the next, you know, Wale. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> now the internet is hot? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my God. Great. Yeah, now it's okay. I've talked about the same thing with Tone Deaf. Because, uh, you know, they were definitely innovators in terms of like that online community and the message boards and really creating their own fan base uh, and like responding and interacting with them in creative ways. So it's mm -hmm. like, it's like, I remember that though, like we were all nerds for being online at one point and you know, yes. um, I remember like <clears throat> I would have been better off when I started out if I was running like some underground newspaper that went to like 50 people, than a website that could be accessed around the world. And, um, just yeah like we were like anyone who wanted to be on the internet was nerds and it was like well i don't really want to be on the internet that much because i don't want 
people to think I'm an internet rapper. Like that was like the curse. Like, oh, he's an internet rapper. Yes. Yes. Like this image. Yeah, that was. It was like this, yeah, it was like this image, man, of like you're in like your mom's bedroom rapping like into a computer microphone and like putting it online like that. <laughs> you know, if you were online, you couldn't be a real person. Yeah, yeah, and and I swear that cover, you know, if I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that cover changed all of that, like because it gave validity to those rappers. And then after that, you know, it just kept on growing and growing and growing. And not only did it give validity to those rappers, if you looked at them, they didn't even look like the year before. You know, the the jewelry was different. The clothing was different. The, the Just the overall feel, it was lighter. Like these guys were smiling. You know, they looked like the average kid on the street. Where the the school I came from, you know, Memphis Bleak told me one day, he was like, yo, Shaw, you nice, but you don't look like a rapper. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, you know, my team pulled me to the side one day and was like, yo, matter of fact, they took me to BBQ. This was in between, when I was in between the Virgin and Death Fan Bill. Um... Virgin, Virgin wasn't going to drop me. Lenny had already taken a job at, at Def Jam. He was waiting for a meeting with Jay. Um, My boys called me. It was like, yo, we got to have a sit down. Yo, Jay doesn't feel like you're a star. When he sees you, you know, you kind of just be looking regular. And I'm like, okay. All right. Um, how am I supposed to look? Like I, you know, I'm supposed to wear shades every day. Like it, it just threw me off because everything that my soul was telling me and what I was telling them I wanted to do, they were telling me nah. I had my own marketing plans. I was like, yo, if I if I could wear employee shirts with my chain on, it's kind of like. It's different from Kanye because I had the idea to be the not Louis, Louis Vuitton Don, but he mixed the backpack with the Louis. Yeah. So so my thing was rock a UPS shirt with the diamond chain on, rock a uh, Best Buy shirt with the, you know, and I did it later on. But if I would have did it with a major label push, it would have been crazy. That was my idea. They was like, what? You can't wear basketball shorts to a show. <laughs> I go to I go to SOB. Joe Button sold the place out. He got on basketball shorts. J Cole doing shows with a white t shirt and basketball shorts. Everybody told me I couldn't do it. So so I have to think about it when I think why didn't I make it? because I didn't have courage enough to do what I wanted to do. So if I would have made it, it wouldn't have been like this. I wouldn't have been sitting here in my own house with my wife and my kid and happy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Who knows what I would have compromised and 
how many kids I would have sprawled around with different mothers, you know, um, in order to, to, to chase the bag, as they say. Yeah, no, I, I, def- I definitely hear that, man. Um, and do you ever have any regrets, man, about the Jay-Z meeting or just about like, just, you know, like looking at like what, what you wanted to do versus what you were told you couldn't do? Or do you look at it like it all happens for a reason and you're where you are today because that's where you're supposed to be? I, I think it's a little of both. I don't necessarily call it regret. But there's times where there's times where I, I think about what I could have done differently when I got in that meeting. Because um, I still remember it was December 1st, 2005. And for me to, you know, remember so vividly the way it went down and the feeling I felt and me thinking I conveyed one message um, but I know it had to play out that way. You know what I'm saying? Because Lenny came to my house in Brooklyn. He was living in Jersey. He came to my house in Brooklyn the day before the meeting and talked to my mom and sat in his truck and told me what he was going to say and how he was going to play the songs and which songs he was going to play. And I was excited. And went in the meeting with Booby and Kev and Lenny and it was all these people, it was Young Gurus, Tata, it was um, Shakir Stewart, rest in peace, Cameron Kwok, like Jay. And I knew it's so weird. It's like it's like you go into a meeting and, and it's like an execution. Like, like, you know, you're about to get shot. It just felt like, okay, this is a formality, but something ain't right. And Lenny didn't do the introduction he talked about. He just folded and was just like, uh, it's a guy I've been working with and it just went to like the corner and just started playing the music so one there was no intro there was no mention of me interning for Rockefeller since 1997 there was no mention of me being on the street team coming up with Rocktober um, just being already signed to Virgin um, and then the music played and Lenny played three album cuts. Um, I think he played sometimes that slipping song. He might have played Troubles, actually, the original version. No, it was another song. Either way, they were all album cuts. And I had this song called Famous, which was a single that I kind of just did. And I had it, I was like, I put it on there on the CD as them track four. But Lenny was, I don't know, he was afraid of singles. But he didn't play it. If he would have played it, that office would have reacted. Because the song, the song rocked. Um, you know, I I put it on something. I forgot which mixtape I put it on. But it, it came out. It's, it, it always rocked at every show. Um, it got some radio play. Like, DJ Enough was spinning it. So I often think about, one, what would have happened if he played that song? Um, two, when the last song started playing, Young Guru was like, he came, he walked up to me, whispered in my ear, he was like, yo, spit something. And when that last song ended, 
I saw that when the music was playing, everybody watched Jay. They didn't. They didn't just bop. They they bopped, but they looked to see if he was bopping. They looked to see if he was listening. He was listening, you know, because I had already known that he listened to a lot of my stuff, and he he liked me. So when it was time for me to rap, I went in. And when I say I went in, like I I went in. I was. I had CDs in my pocket. I had props. I was like throwing stuff. I was pointing at him. I'm walking around, like looking at everybody in their face. I'm, I'm showing no fear. And I thought what I did was enough. You know what I'm saying? But the second thing I think about is why didn't I speak to them? Like, why didn't I fill in the blanks? You know, when Lenny didn't introduce me, why didn't I let them know that I'm just not some rapper off the street, that I I, I interned for Rockefeller, that, you know, I was on Master Ace's Slaughterhouse album, that my brother's Lord Digger, that, you know, Ace got me in the game when I was 12 years old. Like, I'm not just just coming here trying to be part of the Death Jam. Like, I, I really believe in this label so yeah i think about that but when i think about it it's not in terms of the past it's in it's the future i think about any other time i ever have an opportunity to not hold my tongue or to never leave somewhere thinking ah, i should have said more i should have did more like so from now on i learn from that mm. because if you have an opportunity to get something you want, you don't leave there without it, you know. And I, I, I equate that to when I when I got cut from the, the basketball team in, in eighth grade. I wasn't good enough to make the team, but all my friends were on the team. So I went back in the office. I was like, "Yo, I need to be on this team. I don't care how, but I'm going to be on this team." So. What are, we, what are we doing? Is it another tryout? Like, <laughs> and I made it. But I didn't do that that day. You know? So I don't think it's a, a regret thing, but I definitely think it's a, I learned from it. And I had to go through that. And when I left that office, you know what Jay-Z said to them? He said to everyone, how do we get what he did here in the office in front of 10 million homes, in 10 million homes, because he outshined the music. And Shakir Stewart said, sign him. Man. He was like, that's, that's how you do it. He's like, we're Def Jam. But, you know, Jay kind of, he set, he set the table. Like, he knew what he was doing because I wanted a showcase. I told Lenny, I said, I don't want a meeting. Give me a showcase. Invite the staff. Let's, let's, let's go in. Let's let everybody see me rock. Don't play some songs. Like, that's not, nah. Anybody can control that atmosphere. 
you know, three people like it, four people don't, yo, whatever that I like this one, I don't like that. Like, nah. Let me let me let me do what I do on stage and and I feel like I give it all. Win, lose, or draw. And honestly, man, that too was at a time when Jay was not really messing with anybody I felt that would outshine him. Like a lot of the, the artists he signed were either so different from what he did or they weren't a threat to him in terms of lyricism. And I think I think you represented that threat as well. I never wanted to believe that until he went on 106 and Park and he would not say any rapper's name. He was the president of Def Jam at the time. Yeah. He had just signed Corey Jones. He had just signed True Life. Um, Sam Scarfo, I think he had he had did a deal with. Yep. I think he might he might have mentioned True Life, but again, like you just said, he knew True Life was nowhere near his lane. But he would not say Corey Guns, um, because he knew the weight his name held, and at that time. Um, Joe Button was on the label and that's another one that he knew if Joe gets the Jay-Z push he might have a problem so although his peers were like nah Jay's like that you know he he, he wants to, to win I had to think like come on man it wasn't until he signed Cole I was like, all right, at least he signed somebody tall. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, this is the first time he signed somebody tall. Now, for him to sign somebody tall and from Brooklyn and not, you know, hideous, ugh, I don't know. Uh, I don't think he's going to do that. And and, and you, look oh, at, you look at someone like J. Cole, who's on Rock Nation, it's like, that's a totally different vibe. Like, that is not the Jay-Z vibe. Like, you know this the story album concept and all like that's just that's not yeah. so you can say J, J. Cole is huge and Jay Z's supporting him but that's not that's not Jay's lane it's not and to be honest the third thought that I have about that meeting is that I was in his lane and ultimately I would not have been you know I, I was more I was more worried when I, the first time I met Kanye, um, cause I was like, Oh my God, this is what I want to do. And that was 2000, maybe 2002. And I was writing for double XL and I had just interviewed young guru and baseline and Kanye comes in and I know he was a producer and he had MTV. And that was when they had that show called you heard it first. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was Kanye. He was, animated he was bragging he was jumping on the console he was playing dear mama he played jesus walks he played um maybe three or four songs from college dropout and i'm sitting there like oh shit like what is going on right now it's like this is i thought he was a producer but these songs were crazy and he was like i'm a rockefeller he had the rock chain and I was like, wait a minute, he's on Rockefeller doing this type of music? Like, this has never been done on Rockefeller. So I'm like, damn, this is going to work. 
I called Double XL right away, like, yo, I want to interview um, Kanye. They was like, who? And they was like, all right, um, yeah, I don't know about that. Two months later, <laughs> a man called me. He was like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do the Kanye interview, man. I know you had wanted to do it, but yeah, I, I'm going to handle that. I was like, come on. So That's crazy. I say that to say, yeah, I say that to say, you're absolutely right. And I went in that meeting with two chains on, a diamond one and a platinum cross and big diamonds in my earrings. And, um, you know, I guess I was, I guess, fresh for back then. But if you think about it, it would have been smarter for me to go in there with, you know, dressed down, being human, being who I was, because we played songs that were human. But I didn't look the part. I looked like, you know, our waves were spinning. You know, that seems crazy, but <laughs> but that was that was what I was I was trying to represent, and that's what people told me. This is what you got to do. This is this is your lane. But again, it wasn't my lane, and you know, Cole is probably closer to what I do. Um, just in a different way, but you know he's he's given me the um, the nod, and that's you know that's that's a beautiful thing. Anytime he's in town, uh, he makes sure I have very really great seats to his show out here, and I go backstage and um, we communicate. And you know, I've seen pictures of his his son, and he even spoke to he spoke to a kid for an hour for me. Um, a kid that I'm, I mentor that didn't want to go to college. And I got cold on the phone and he spoke to the kid. Like, took time out of his day. And, I, and that's just, that's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that, that, that to me, I remember when you posted that on Facebook, I was like, wow, like that's incredible. Um, those are the kind of stories yeah. that, you know, makes make someone like a truly like cool person mm -hmm. and so what happened Man, did the kid go no he told me he 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 was he applied he got in he was gonna go because the kid had like a crazy gpa you know smart kid one of the smartest kids i've seen out here um but no, he decided to to work and try his hand at rap, and you know Cole was just telling him like, "Yo, don't be silly." Like I didn't get signed till I was twenty twenty six. Like, what are you gonna do if it takes you that long? You know what I'm saying? And I told him I didn't get signed till I was twenty eight. So, you know, and it, the kid is delusional. He called me a couple months ago. Yo, can can J Cole be in my video? I'm like, dog. What are you talking about right now? Like, let's not be ridiculous. But yeah, it, it's just, it's a blessing that I can still communicate with him. I, I don't know if he heard the album yet. I think um, I would love to know his his take on. It. I did send him Jail University and Together. Um, that was 2015. Wow, man. 
I don't think I don't even think they were mixed, but those were two of the songs that um it was probably two days after my son was born. September my son was born September eleventh, twenty fifteen. So I sent Cole an email and I said, um I never told anybody this. But I said, Man, I'm thinking about returning to music and I don't need you to sign me, I said, but I would love to, uh, I don't know how I phrased it, but something like a cosign or, you know, just, I love what y'all are doing and I would love to be a part of it and I would like you to listen to what I got going on. So I sent them to university and together and, you know, he never responded. But um, maybe like a month later, I hit him um, because I was coaching at the time and in my kid's locker room, they had a picture of him up. I think I sent him the picture. I was like, yo, it's crazy, you know, that you inspire kids. And he was like, yo, that's wild. He's like, by the way, you sent me some crazy shit. So I was like, crazy. I said, you mean the email or the music? He was like, the music was amazing. I was like, wow. And low key, that kind of gave me a little bit of a bug to be like, all right, this can come out. You know, and that started, that kind of planted the seed for me to keep going. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, that was, um, that was part of it too. And that'll do it too, man. I mean, that's a huge moment. I mean, you know, um, cause it's, he's got nothing to lose by being honest. Right, 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 right. Yeah, even when I did the Love Yours freestyle, I sent it to him. And he was like, man, he was like, I saw it so clearly. He was like, you killed it. Because when he first played me the song, uh, he played me the album, you know, Forest Hills Drive, like, um, he sat me down in the studio and gave me some headphones. And I, I felt really privileged because I missed the listening. I got there a little late, so I only heard, like, maybe five or six songs because... Um, he forgot to tell me. He's like, "Yo, my bad." He told me like last minute. So he's like, "Yo, just sit here." After everybody left, just like gave me the computer, gave me the headphones, and I just listened to the album. Um, and I think to me, I think that's probably his best album. But I love yours. I was like, "Yo, you need a third verse on there." And I didn't say, "Yo, let me get on the remix." I just did my own. But <laughs> he was like, "Yo, you killed it." Even New Jordan he was like, yo, you can give a class on that shit. It was so vivid. But, you know, I'm, I think it's cool that he respects, you know, who I am and what I do. Yeah, no, th- that's huge, man. And and I know you got to find a ton of fulfillment working with kids and, and doing the mentoring and college access and everything like that. You know, how's that yeah. been for you? Man, it's a it's a dream situation. I, I don't even like to call it a job, but I guess I do have a job. <laughs> but I'm I'm a graduation coach at a high school. So it's somewhat like a counselor. Um you know, I don't my boy is the you know, the principal um that I grew up with. And I we healing feel I don't feel like I have a boy. I tell the kids all the time, they're my boss. You know, because I'm not, like, reporting to work for anybody. Like, it's not rigid. Um, But every day, I'm 
either focusing on getting kids to graduate. We just started a, a young mentor group where, you know, we just pulling in the guys and having real talks about life. Um, you know, you talk about not just college, but the future. And, you know, not to keep bringing up Cole, but uh, he passed by the school, not inside the school, but he was in the area like last year. Um, and he met, you know, met my principal, met my guy. And we talked for like an hour and a half. And one of the things he said was with his career, he doesn't get the chance to to do the work, like put hands on people and touch lives, you know, one by one daily. And I thought about I thought about me and how I wanted to be this big superstar, right? But I thought the most I could do was like what Chance the Rapper is doing, like give money to the public school. You know what I'm saying? Like this dude, the big, I'm about to give a million dollars to this. I'm about to maybe go to a school one day and speak. But it's nothing like knowing names and touching lives, like putting your hand on a life, you know, and now this kid has your number. And they go to college and they need $20 or they need advice or they need to help writing the paper or, you know, you influencing them for life. Like, that's crazy. So now that I have that, if, you know, I do become a, a mega star or, or something does take off and now I'm able to reach more people. I'm so much more fulfilled knowing these names because I know a lot of them and I know I've touched a lot of lives that I wouldn't have had if I was just putting out albums. It's crazy. Yeah. And I actually do something pretty similar to that uh, where I teach and it's, it makes you, it's definitely like I've had kids, you know, that I've talked about, like, you know what I used to do. And they're like, so why are you here? And like, I'd rather be here, honestly, guys. And they're like, you're just saying that because you're here. And I'm like, no, I actually right. do mean that. Like, you know, I, 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 I'll go on, you know, hip hop sites from time to time and read the news and, you know, just kind of catch up. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't follow the day to day music news and like the politics of websites as much I'll li I listen to the music all the time but like I'm not I'm not as in tune with the hip hop media yeah. and hello yeah hello. yeah I heard I heard a beeping sorry um and so I it's just there's something that's way more fulfilling to me about what about like like you said, like putting hands on lives and and changing lives and and being a person that kids go to for support and help that you can't get like as much as I loved like interviewing DJ Premier and that was like a highlight of my writing career, like that pales in comparison mm -hmm. to seeing a kid get into college for the first time and like know that they just got accepted mm -hmm. and and not thinking they were ever going to get accepted and they did like and I think only not too many people can understand that, that kind of, nope. and it, I think it's cool. Like you, like I've talked to substantial from, he, you know, from extended yes. fam Q and five, like he does similar work in Maryland. Wordsworth is teaching yep. now. Oh, wow. That's crazy. It's funny because substantial was one of the first people that I talked to about, 
um, education. And that was 2012 when wow. he was um he was he was out here for HBC and I think I had just started subbing. And when he told me what he did, I was like, "Tell me more! Like, tell me more!" Like, I was excited. You know what I'm saying? I don't even, maybe I hadn't even started subbing, but I just felt like there was no reason I should have been that excited. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it, it just, it, it's crazy that you brought up his name because I'm like, wow. I remember that conversation, like getting his number and like, yo, tell me how you getting into schools, like how is this magical thing happening? <laughs> like, because I got to, I got to do something, you know. So that's yeah, no, you're right. That's crazy. And it's it, it it's interesting to me too how so many um, MCs and are are turning to education, and not that they're not that they're not doing music, but like. Words was at his son's school, and one of the teachers said, "We need more black teachers." And Words took that message to heart and mm -hmm. became a teacher. And he's he's doing that full time now. And um, you even look at guys like Master Ace, you know, who you go back with, you know, through Lord Diga, and you know him being a football coach and and mentoring kids that way. I mean, I think it's 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 interesting to see like who chooses to really make that impact versus who just kind of talks the talk but doesn't actually do the walk you know and that's what i felt like i was doing with with music like i'm i'm just talking about it i had songs about going to a school and talking to kids like granted i had done it but my soul had a desire for more so now I just feel like I'm living the movie um, Family Man. You ever seen Family Man with Nicolas Cage? No. No, I'll have, oh, to, okay. I'll have to check that. Let me, you're breaking up a little bit. Is that... so, sorry, yeah, I said, I said I'll have to check that. Oh, yeah. Um, let me try to break it down real quick. Family Man is a movie about Nicolas Cage. He's a successful businessman, right? Um, like he's not on Wall Street. I forgot how he, where he was at. But either way, he's like aloof. You know, he's dealing with different women. Like he got money, got the crazy, you know, penthouse apartment, whatever, whatever. Um, so he gets a glimpse of what his life would have been like had he dealt with um, Tia Leone, like his college girlfriend. He had this pivotal moment where he had a choice to go do an internship in like Paris or stay with her. So he chose the internship and it boomed and it turned into this, you know, he turned into this financial, you know, millionaire or whatever. So he runs into Don Cheadle at a store and Don Cheadle's like an angel that gives him a glimpse of what his life would have been like. So the next morning he wakes up, he's got a family with the girl, he's got two kids, he's a family man. And he still has memory of the life he had before. So he's messed up. Like when they go in to the store, he's looking at $3,000 suit. She's like, what are you doing? Like now they live in Jersey. You know, she's a nonprofit lawyer. Like it's a whole life that he's already been inserted in. So he's working at a tire shop for his father-in-law and sees his old boss when he was, you know, the millionaire need a tire like just happens randomly to stop at the, the spot so 
So he instantly tries to slowly get his life back. Like tries to show the guy how much he knows about finance and blah, 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 and ends up getting a job interview at his old firm that he knows all about. So it's almost like he tries to combine the new life with the old life. And I'm not going to give it away, but some days I feel like I'm doing that. Like, this is not a glimpse. It's, you know, it's, it's my life. But sometimes I feel like taking little pieces of the old life, especially the financial part, you know. Um, it, you know, it's fun. It's fun because I go, sometimes I go shopping and I'm looking and I'm like, there was a time $300 jeans was nothing, you know. Now I can still buy them, but daycare is 1000 a month. So mm, that money can go somewhere else, you know what I'm saying? Exactly, like everything, everything shifts. Yeah, and it's good though. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Like you know, happy. So, so where do you go from here, man? You know, so, so you're in Atlanta. You, you're mm-hmm. doing, you're doing great work with kids. You, you, Lazarus is an incredible album. You're, you're still working on the promotion of that and doing the videos. Where do you go from here? Yeah. Well, from here, I, I want to continue doing the bar talks um, and kind of create a lane with those that separates me from, you know, the typical rapper because no one's doing acapellas. Um, you know, it's not really spoken word. It's just, it's just talking bars. So that's something I want to create a niche with and eventually have other people um, do them and add on to, to the brand and kind of push that as a way to get, um, you know, get, get words out. You want to get their words out, you know, use that tool. Um, I'm also, um, I'm considering doing another album, but if, if I do, um, shout out to 10 minutes late, 10 minute late records. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how I'm going to do it. If I would do it with a label or if I just, you know, maybe, maybe, work on songs and videos and kind of let the people dictate if they want a project or if it's best to just, um, kind of give insight to my recording process and let, let everybody kind of see how the, how the, how it comes about. Because I feel like that's what was missing with Lazarus is, um, kind of that reality TV feel where you get to know who I am because it's one thing to like, an artist or like the song, but it's another thing to kind of know who they are. And I get bits and pieces on social media with, you know, my son, but I'm not addicted to it where I'm doing Instagram stories. And, um, you know, I just, I, I, it's hard for me to just turn on record and just post my life. So I do feel like if I do another album, I would turn the cameras on during that process so people could see more. Um, and I'm also, writing a book to my son um, which talks about everything we talked about as far as losing a record deal and gaining a life. Um, so I, it's kind of autobiographical. It's just written 
to him. So, you know, a lot of times we don't share our stories, you know, with our kids. So I think this would be my way of kind of sharing um, the story. And I'm also working on a sitcom that I really believe in, you know, and, uh, and it also ties into around the time you and I met and everything that we were going through to get in the industry and kind of finding the light in that and the, and the humor in it. Because the world was totally different, you know, as we've talked about, like the rules for the industry in 2003 were very different from 2018. And I captured that. So, you know, outside of all of those projects, um, you know, I'm just, just continuing to, to live and, you know, hopefully expand the family and take every day and just be excited about it. And, you know, my, my goal for this year is to not focus so much on views and likes and, and listens and and appreciate every single one. You know, because that's hard. It's, it's hard when, when, you know, ever since I first got on Hip Hop Game or got on MySpace, like, we've been a slave to numbers. We've been slave to numbers. Like, you know, I, I put out stuff and been like, oh, man. Only six thousand views, like ugh. only only two hundred listens on SoundCloud. Damn, this is horrible. You know, you and you feel like unaccomplished, or you feel like this person is better than you. And you wonder why somebody's getting this amount of views and you're not. And it it, it puts a damper on the art. You know. I have to be more mindful of every single like view listen is a human that's taking time to to check out what I got going on. That's taking a, a, a look into my world where many years ago that would have been very difficult to get somebody to listen, to look, to, to hear what I'm doing. And I think we've taken it for granted.